Welcome to Calvary Conversations. My name is Mike Dodds. I'm the director of CU Press here at Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. Today, our guest is Mr. Adrian Isaacs. He's a doctoral candidate at Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto, and he serves as an adjunct professor of dispensational theology at Canada Christian College near Toronto, Canada. In his doctoral work, he's exploring the eschatology of Lewis Perry Chafer and his theology of the nations, Israel, and the church. And today we're specifically discussing an article that he wrote on that topic entitled Eschatological Humanity is Triune, Considering a Foundational Dispensational Distinction in Light of the Doctrine of the Trinity. His article is found in the fall 2020 edition of Calvary's journal, The Dispens the Interdispensational Interdisciplinary Journal on Biblical Authority. Adrian, thanks for participating in this conversation today on this topic. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. Glad to have you with us here. All right. With this discussion, you and I, I know we're going to be jumping into the deep end of the theological pool in a sense. So let's back up and make sure our listeners uh, understand us, begin by unpacking the title for us. So the first part of it, eschatological humanity as triune. What do you mean? Sort of unpack each word. Yeah. Yeah. So if we begin with eschatological, so I just, you know, have in mind here the end, right? So eschatology, doctrine of last things, looking at basically the end and in particularly the, the new creation, right? So um, no more sin, no more death. God has renewed creation. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Um, but also having in mind the millennial era as well. So that 1,000 years following uh, the second coming. Mm -hmm. um, just the state of humanity. So, so what is the shape of corporate humanity in the eschaton or in the end time, in the new, new creation, in the millennium? Um, so, so by humanity here, I particularly mean redeemed humanity. So um, humanity that is redeemed in Christ. Right, corporate in a corporate sense. Um, so, so the word triune there is basically getting to, I guess, the heart of the argument that the, the shape of corporate humanity in the eschaton, in the end time, in the new creation, in the millennium, um, is actually triune. So, so there's a and taking that word in its most basic sense, there's sort of a threefold distinction in the one humanity. So that's that's basically what I was after with that title. Now, you're not talking about the distinctions we sometimes make in personality. You know, we got emotions, intellect, will. You're talking another type of trinity. Yeah. So I'm basically looking at um, corporate humanity. So, so, and corporate humanity in this sort of threefold grouping of Israel, the church, and the nation. So, okay. yeah. So it's a more corporate sense, but there's still sort of that threefold aspect to the overall corporate shape of humanity. Yeah. Okay. Foundational dispensational distinction. Eschatological humanity is triune. The foundational dispensational distinction. All right, there's a lot of words there. What do you mean yeah. by dispensationalism, first of all? You know, as we need to understand it just for yeah. understanding the article. It's a big topic. But. Yeah, it is. And I, I find that the easiest way to, to define dispensationalism is actually to first define dispensation. Um, so, uh, you know, in our that, that word dispensation there comes from the Greek koinomia, um, Ephesians 3, 2. It's translated in various translations as stewardship, administration or dispensation and uh, has the idea of of managing the affairs of a household or managing a household. So in its theological usage, um, a dispensation is essentially um, a way in which God manages the affairs of this world. And it usually involves 
uh, actually a, a responsibility or responsibilities given to humanity. So it's God's administration or managing of this world. And there's dispensationalists will will talk about different um, economies or different stewardships or different dispensations through history. So different ways in which God manages the affairs of this world. So um, I actually like uh, Paul Enns in his Moody Handbook of Theology gave a very helpful uh, definition of dispensationalism, which I'll roughly paraphrase. So he simply says that dispensationalism is a system of theology or uh, some might add a, a system of interpretation that simply recognizes different dispensations or different stewardships um, in, in history and in God's managing of the world, different dispensations of humanity under God. So, um, you know, you'll hear often hear of dispensationalists speak of the dispensation of law or the dispensation of grace. So just these different ways in which God is managing the affairs of this world. Something more has to be said there, though, only because, you know, you, one might read the writings of non-dispensationalists and they'll, they'll see um, covenant theologians or non-dispensationalists refer to, you know, the old dispensation or the new dispensation. But as a formal system of theology, and Charles Ryrie obviously defined this, um, dispensationalism recognizes a consistent distinction between Israel and the church, mm -hmm. which is grounded in a consistent literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of scripture and recognizes the glory of God as sort of the unifying purpose of history. So it's a lengthy definition, but dispensationalism is one of those things that it's, it's, it's in a way easier to define by breaking it down into pieces, so to speak. Mm -hmm. yeah, so hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, yeah you know, you, you begin, you, the uh, essence of the title is eschatological humanity is triune, then semi or colon. Uh, dispensationalism, in the eschaton, how does that relate? Is that a dispensation? Help us to understand. Yeah, so um, traditional dispensationalists have generally uh, regarded the, the eschaton, the new creation, as not a dispensation. Uh, I know that the progressive dispensationalists do, but um, because the new creation involves, you know, there's there's no more testing, there's no more fall, there's no more judgment. It sort of doesn't include the typical characteristics of a dispensation that traditional dispensationalists would understand. The various economies of history to include, right? There's judgment in history, there's testing in history. But in that new creation, there's no there's no judgment, there's no testing. It's the glory of God is in full display. So they would not regard that as a dispensation. Yeah. But you are saying that in that God's dealing with people differently, you know, your definition you, you just ends there. It 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 is a dispensation then? Is that what you somewhat are arguing for? Sorry, if if the if the new creation is sort of a dispensation? Yeah. Is that what you're thinking? Oh, no. So, yeah, I, I'm saying no. So I'm saying that the, the new creation is not not a dispensation. Um, that would Traditional dispensationalists would generally regard a the sort of unfolding of dispensations as limited to the history of this earth. Okay. okay. So once this earth passes away, we're in the new creation, and then that's, that's uh, yeah, just, just the eternal state. Yeah. Okay. But you're putting two things here together, so to help us to understand it. Eschatological humanity is triune, mm -hmm. foundational dispensational distinction. What's the yeah. distinction? What does that word mean? Yeah, I mean, so that, that's different. basically, yeah, that's just recognizing um, that there's, as I mentioned earlier in traditional dispensationalism, um, often there's this focus on the, on the differences between Israel and the church, right? So just that the church is one body. And Israel is another body. So there's a distinction between the two of them. They're not the same in essence. They don't represent the same divine program, even though they're 
there's, you know, there's a relation between them. Um, foundational is just, the reason I use that word there is because I'm looking back at the writings of the early dispensationalists like Darby and Brooks mm -hmm. and Schofield and Schaefer. And in all of them, they have this, this, this actual threefold distinction between the nations, Israel, and the church. So again, that word distinction, the, the church is not Israel. Israel is not the nations. Um, there's a distinction between the three that sort of sees them as different groups within the, the one humanity. Yeah, so. Okay. All right. So I, I think I got you. You're saying that dispensationalists have seen this distinction of these three groups. Yeah. You're arguing that they're going to be present in eternity. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, yeah, it's interesting when you look at uh, the writings of people like uh, like Darby and Lewis Berry Chafer in particular really um, stress this, that the, the, the continuity of identity of the three groups into eternity and Admittedly, there's not a lot, you know, it's difficult to, to conceive of exactly what that means. And that's one of the points I made in the article was that, you know, that probably needs more work in terms of what does this mean in the eschaton in terms of, you know, how these groups relate to each other. But um, the the implication is there that these distinctions carry on into eternity. Right. Yeah, I hear your doctoral work here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've limited yourself. Uh, the last part of the, the uh, title, let's start the title again. Eschatological Humanities Triune, colon, considering a foundational dispensational distinction in light of the yeah. doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. What, what in the Trinity? What's that all about? Yeah, so this this is where we get, I guess, to the heart of the, the thesis, really, the heart of the argument. Um, and to put it simply, it's it's simply saying that if the one eternal immutable God is both one and three, right? He's, there's one God, um, three persons is the word that, that uh, theologians have generally used to, to describe the, the members of the Trinity. Then there's no reason to, to suggest that there can't be real distinctions in one humanity. So really it's just seeing this threefold distinction that traditional dispensationalists have recognized um, it's really just seeing it as a correspondence or a similarity to the, the three and oneness of the Trinity of God himself. Um, so it's not intended to get into all the, you know, we, we can't know a lot of the inner workings of the Trinity and a lot of that's mystery to us and beyond finite minds. It's simply just recognizing that this shape of humanity that dispensationalists have recognized seems to remarkably correspond to the three and oneness of God. And that's really what, what, what I'm after there with that, uh, that title. Yeah, you, you spend some time uh, in the article talking about the relational dynamic within the Trinity. And for myself, when I read that, I, go, I had to step back and go, <laughs> you know, it, we, we unfortunately tend to think of three gods relating. No. Yeah. So it, the concept, like you just said, that's hard to imagine the three persons of the Trinity, but yet they are right. relational. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Would you add any more about that relationship? Yeah. The, the only thing I would I want to say, that, yeah, I mean, and you touched on it. We don't want to, you know. There is a risk of pressing the the trinitarian relationship too far and and, and almost getting into tritheism right um we don't want to press it too far but the the fact that and in all in scripture we see that the son is not the father and the spirit is not the son right that the father the son speaks to the father mm -hmm. so there has to be a relation even though it's one god there has to be relationality between them god is love right so so Obviously, the, the the persons of the Trinity for all eternity have existed in in 
in some way, which is beyond us, our, our finite minds to fully understand, have existed in this eternal relationship of love, which um, it's difficult to say more only because of the mystery element of it, right? But but we can say that, that there has to be some relational element to, to the being of God himself. Yeah. 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 Jesus, or the, the quote in, in Hebrews 10, I think when you say that, where Jesus said, I came to do your will. Yeah. And the son talking to the father. And what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. But, but you're arguing that we saw a relational dynamic in the Trinity, mm-hmm. and that's reflected in humanity. Right. And it will be revealed in eternity because that's somehow consistent with God as yeah. he's revealed himself to us. Yeah. Cool. I mean, we could think about this on an individual level too, right? Like husband, wife, parent, child, yeah. teacher, student. Um, and, and, and it's interesting when we bring this dispensational element into it, that even at a corporate level, there seems to be this. Uh, it's, a bit diff- it's a bit more difficult because, you know, when we talk about corporate humanity, talking about a, a grouping right but there still seems to be this interplay which is which which i think is profound yeah mm-hmm. yeah and we're in that hard one you know my wife is not me and i'm not my wife and we're <laughs> yeah. separate persons whereas god's revelation of himself in the trinity it's not that as distinct as we have in humanity at times okay yeah. hey, you make a great statement on page 182 actually the millennium and you mentioned that that's that mm-hmm. in time eschaton the millennium serves as a good case study for this threefold distinction. Israel is exalted above the nations, and I'm assuming you're saying that's in the millennium. Yeah. The Gentiles enjoy the blessings of Israel's kingdom, so they're separate from Israel. And while the church reigns with Jesus Christ, ultimately, the consistent distinction between Israel and the church implies a broader threefold distinction between the nations, Israel, and the church. How are the nations? What do you mean? How are yeah. the nations involved? That's another sub-question, but yeah. what are you saying? No, that's a, gr- that's a great question because, uh, you know, when we look at the writings of people like Ryrie and uh, uh, especially with his, with his uh, essentialist definition of dispensationalism, the focus is often on Israel and the church, um, and rightly so. Um, there's, there's, there's more said in Scripture about those two groups um, in terms of God having a distinct election and purpose for those two groups. Um, but when we think about Israel as an elect nation, right? So if Israel has their own covenants, their own calling, their own election, their own purpose, um, then that must mean that by the very virtue of Israel's election, all other nations stand distinct to them because all other nations don't have the same election that Israel has as this distinct nation. So the phrase uh, Lewis Bray Chafer used is all the other nations stand in contradistinction to Israel. And it's because Israel has this unique election and calling. So that must mean then that, that the rest of the nations um, serve as sort of their own group. And we see in scripture, right? We, the Gentiles has reference to non-Jews, but then Israel, of course, with their own covenants and distinctions stand distinct. So, so it's almost like, so the nations we can almost think of as being distinct by virtue of the calling of another, right? So by the virtue of the calling of, of, of Israel, which maintains this distinction between Israel and the nations. And then obviously the church is drawn from both categories. So then we have a third group which stands in distinction to both. Yeah. Uh, When you say nations, my first reaction was, uh, well, that's those are unsaved people. But you're talking about eternity. Yeah. How are there saved nations and they're not part of Israel or the church? Yeah. 
So two, two, yeah, two things of that, um, which I should clarify, um, which I kind of touched on earlier in the title there, Eschatological Humanities Triune. Ultimately, I'm thinking of redeemed humanity. So I'm thinking of when God has accomplished his purpose of redemption and, you know, through the millennium, the nations come to his light and it talks about the nations going up to worship the king in Jerusalem. So I'm talking about the salvation of the nations, but the same, based on the same uh, means as the salvation of us today, right? So we're not talking about separate salvations or we're not talking about pluralism. We're talking about the Gentiles saved in Christ. Um, now, when we get to to the, the eschaton, to the new creation, um, ultimately, we have to maintain that there is one salvation for all three groups. Right. And my argument there is that's where the unity lies, that there's this one new humanity that is in Christ, but the nations are, because in, in th this threefold distinction is worked out in history, meaning God through history is shaping humanity in this threefold manner that will that will exist eternally. Mm. So this is where the, the dispensational element really comes into play in that now in this church age and what dispensationalists would refer to as the church age, God is doing something that he did not do before the church and what he will not do in the millennium. And that is he's taking individuals from Israel and the nations and forming them into one new man, as Paul teaches in Ephesians 2. But then once the church age concludes, God then restores uh, Israel and and picks up again, if you like, this program of uh, uh, blessing Israel nationally and maintaining a national distinction between Israel and the church. So it's the, the sort of working through historical, um, the dispensations through history that shapes these three groups. And then when we get to the new creation, it's just it's almost like they're, they're maintained in that historical distinction that shaped them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, and, and I'm, I, I mentioned that we're going to be in the deep end of the pool here and my mind just <laughs> rambling around. What about, what about, we don't have yeah. the time or, uh, but, uh, you know, as I read the article, like I said, I, I resonated with it. Um, why did you study it? Uh, why? Uh, yes, you were studying Chafer and his yeah. theology and you're writing your doctoral work here, but why did you study this specific topic? Uh, what prompted you to dive into this combination of eschatology, humanity, yeah. trinity, dispensationalism? To be honest, it, it's actually quite amazing because it wasn't intentional at all, actually, especially when you think of dispensationalism on one hand, Trinitarian theology on the other. And what basically happened was, I mean, I've, I've ever since I've been a Christian, I've, I've um, held to dispensational distinctions. I believe it's it's uh, you know, when we interpret scripture in its plain historical grammatical sense, um, I believe dispensational distinctions are, are what scripture teaches. Um, when I decided to study formally, theology formally, um, I didn't go to, so Wycliffe College, which is part of the Toronto School of Theology at the University of Toronto, it's not a dispensational school. Um, but what I really, one of the things I really took out of that was just, just a deeper understanding of, of the Trinity, Trinitarian theology. I took some courses, my systematic theology course, took a course called Mystery of the Trinity, um, and another one called 20th Century Protestant Theologians, which looked at four particular theologians, and we dealt with some of these issues of relationality in the Trinity. And I just began to see that what these Trinitarian theologians were, were saying was remarkably similar to what the dispensational theologians were saying regarding corporate humanity. Um, it was quite remarkable, actually, and it wasn't just the, the three and one, even though, you know, that's, that's the, I guess, the, the 
the basis or the bare minimum of it. But even in terms of how Trinitarian theologians would, would and I mentioned this in the article, would talk about things like generation. So that the father generates the son from all eternity and the procession of the spirit from both the father and the son. And then what the dispensationalists were saying about, you know, the church being drawn from Israel and the nations, um, even when you think about uh, Israel being called out from the from the nations and Abraham being called out, and it just there was just this remarkable similarity, and um, so it just led me to press it further and to look into it further. And um, the work of Chafer really touches on this threefold distinction, not from a Trinitarian perspective, but just in and of itself. And yeah, it's something that really fascinated me. And I thought, you know, one of the arguments leveled against dispensationalism is that. You know, according to their argument, a non-dispensational argument is that it divides the people of God, which we cannot do because there's one God, one salvation, one savior. But then if we recognize that there's distinctions in the one God, why can't there be distinctions in the one humanity? And that's basically the heart of the argument. Mm. Yeah. Do you think, given our climate now, where we're at, you and I are both living here and all of our listeners are living here, um, you think of a Galatians 3.28, it's a lot, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Um, With the wanting to remove nationality and gender and the push to one government, is that somehow compelling uh, people to to not think like you have seen in scripture in in this triune dispensational way? Yeah, you know, it it may. I think, I'm not sure if... um, that sort of worldview or that sort of mindset would 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 necessarily directly play into them rejecting these dispensational distinctions. And I only say that because I think I think that that's coming from a more secular, anti-God sort of perspective. Whereas those concerned with you know opposing these dispensational distinctions would probably be more theologians who who, who sort of read scripture differently. Um, but I do think that that it's very interesting that uh, this push in society to remove distinctions between the gender. When we look at it more broadly, sort of in a very, um, you know, sort of the anti-God spirit behind that. And then you think about the image of God. And and I, I mentioned the article that I, you know, I'm not trying to specifically pin down what that is in any one given context, but just this idea of differentiation, right? Male, female, um, God made humanity in his likeness, male and female. It seems, especially in light of the doctrine of the Trinity, that this unity and distinction, distinctions are, are, they're good, right? They're Mm God-given. So a push to erase that to me is, is stems from an Mm. uh, anti-God, anti-Christian approach. And there may even be, you know, maybe even in a supernatural satanic sense, this Mm. motivation to dismiss the distinctions between Israel and the church and the nations as part of sort of that same push, but for more from a spiritual satanic um, side, you know, assuming that, that what the dispensationalists have recognized is correct. Yeah. 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 You, you ask and, and then answer your, this question. You're, you're asking this question. I'm quoting you. Is this dispensational arrangement of a plurality of people groups within redeemed humanity, theologically justifiable in light of there being one God, one savior, one salvation and and you arguing yes there is uh and it's based in the trinity itself um, yeah yeah 
And just one quick thing to point out, because I think it's important, because you didn't mention Galatians 3.28. And yeah. within the church itself, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. But in terms of their corporate groupings, I'm arguing, yes, there is a consistent distinction between the church as a whole, the nations as a whole, and, and Israel as a whole. Yeah. And that's where that verse is not sometimes not uh, interpreted in its context. Yeah. There. So yeah. I, that's another sidetrack that we're going to yeah. Yeah. get to. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. We only got a couple minutes left. Let's deal with the so what. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One of those discussions that theologians get into. You're right. There is a relational aspect to the three groups that needs to be observed. There's no place for triumphalism on the part of yeah. one group towards the other. For example, Gentiles toward Israel and vice versa. Yeah. Nor is there any place for replacement theology. Now, I just included another group that, but yeah. what's what's the practical? Uh, is there uh, something that affects us? How should we think yeah. differently, act differently, in light of what you've discussed here in God's Word? Yeah, yeah. One one important um, implication, I think, and and it's not, uh, you know, the, you don't necessarily need um, to draw this correspondence to make this argument, but I think it's it, it is an inherent um, implication of this argument that distinctions are God given distinctions are good, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in in today's climate of race relations, racial tensions, mm -hmm. if indeed in the eschaton, in the new creation, distinctions will still be maintained when there's perfection and when there's no sin. Then we have to conclude that God-given distinctions are good and wholesome. And, and they actually, they, they demonstrate to us that, you know, a distinction means I have something that somebody else doesn't have. They have something that I don't have. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a unity there that there's a, a completion almost when, when, when the two come together. So I think, you know, even when we look at society today, um, it's to me, it's just another fundamental argument, the, 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 the wrongfulness of things like racial discrimination, mm. um, where we see some, where we want to put one race or ethnic group uh, in a sort of triumphal position over another. No, we're all, we're all one, not, not in a universal, uh, universalist, um, ungodly sense, but we are all one in Christ, ultimately. Uh, but humanity as a whole is one. There's no place. These distinctions can be recognized without being uh, exploited for for improper gain. So I think that's, you know, it, it's just a, it's just another way I think of of arguing against this tendency to want to put down one ethnic group uh, in favor of another. Yeah. Uh, in, in eternity, we're going to be worshiping God, and all the glory goes to Him. But yet, what, what Scripture reveals is like what you're saying that, that there will be distinctions in the eschaton. Yeah. There will be the nations bringing the glory yeah. to him. All right, uh, we've 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 run out of time, Adrian. Oh shoot! Hopefully, this has generated a lot more conversations uh, for me and for yeah. our listeners. Um, thank you, Adrian, for your careful study of this topic in Scripture, and the Lord bless you as you continue to delve into that in your uh, dissertation. We must understand what God has revealed for us in His Word, and that's Adrian's yeah. point. This is revealed in His Word because we want to glorify him as he intended us by creation and regeneration and yeah. for all eternity. Um, listeners can find your article by searching the Amazon for the Interdisciplinary Journal on Biblical Authority, the Fall 2020 edition. That's our second edition. How can people contact you personally if they want to continue the conversation yeah. with you? 
Yeah, uh, best way is by email. Um, so I can give you my email. It's basically my name, adrian.isaacs, so A-D-R-I-A-N dot I-S-A-A-C-S, at mail dot U, so just the letter U, uh, toronto.ca. Okay, say it again. Yep, adrian.isaacs at mail dot U, just the letter U, um, dot toronto.ca. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Oh, no problem. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Calvary Conversations, a service of Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. We invite you to participate in the conversation by contacting us through the Calvary University website, calvary.edu, or by calling us at 816-322-0110. Join us again next week for another Calvary Conversation.